is James chapter 1, verse 13. We'll read verses 13, 14, and 15. James chapter 1, verses 13, 14, and 15. Very excited about everything that is transpiring and taking place. Uh, very excited about the uh, Bible study for the younger ones. Sister Brock is heading that up, took that upon herself. Last week, they taught them how to find a book, chapter, and verse, and they had a, a great time together last week, and so I'm, I'm excited about things like that. That was not something that was actually planned. Somebody had a burden for it. When somebody has a burden for something, it usually flourishes, so I'm happy about that. Our elements class is going very, very, very well. We're excited about that. God's doing great, great things, and we should be very, very thankful, amen, for all that he has done. James chapter 1, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I'll save my title and give it to you in just a moment. This is a great passage of Scripture. We want the Lord to help us tonight. Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. Help us as we open your word. Bring acknowledgement and enlightenment and strength to us, revelation to us, amen, from your word. We acknowledge you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We pray, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated. Amen. I am very, very grateful tonight. I'm going to be a presenter uh, tonight. I'm a presenter tonight. You may be asking, well, what does that mean? I'm presenting information and material that is not my own. I am presenting material that comes from Sister Rebecca Monks. And so I'm a presenter. I'll add my own twist to it, uh, but it is her material. And it is basically, tonight is the thesis Everyone say thesis. It's the main point to her book that is entitled Apostolic Identity and Integrity. If you do not have this book, you need to get this book. Everybody in the church needs to read this book, whether you're a young person or um, an elderly person. It is a fabulous, fabulous treatise on a, a subject that I believe is a flashpoint it is the battle that many of our young people and many of our adults are facing in this generation. There has to be something that is relative. If you're going to teach a lesson, preach a lesson, you can put together a great sermon. But if it's not for the time and it doesn't make a connection for the present context, it will be a great message, but it won't resonate. So when we pray and we try to put things together, we're trying to ask God, what do you want me to say right now at this time in this season? This book uh, addresses one of those uh, flashpoint interests of today, 2021. And so I'm going to take the material from that first chapter. It is one chapter, and there are many chapters that follow so I would encourage you, if you don't have it, see Sister Monks or see the bookstore, get it. It will be great, great reading. There is a renewed interest in reading. Social media has been so disappointing. 
the people are launching back into picking up books. And that's not a bad thing at all. It's not a bad thing at all. This is a great, great book. We read in uh, our beginning, James chapter 1 and verse 13 through 15. And from that, we will launch into this. There is a scene in the Messiah that takes place right over here. And John the Baptist is in the tank representing the Jordan River. And he's baptizing individuals. And the priests come out. Everybody's gathered around in the Jordan area. And they're wondering what's transpiring and what is taking place. And John the Baptist is speaking to uh, the audience. And more particularly, he's speaking to the priests. And there is one particular line in that. Brother Frankie, Brother Frank Cabrera and Brother Drew Fields, they're the ones that gave that particular line that uh, has stuck with me, as with a lot of things that happen in the Messiah. They'll come back to you. Uh, and this is one of them. John the Baptist is speaking, and one of the priests at some point says with great emphatic fervor, Who are you? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them, who are you? I am not the crow. Wait a minute. I am not the Christ. Okay. Uh, that asked a good question, though, because it's trying to pinpoint how we define ourselves. Really, who are we? And that is a great, great question. We answer that question in a variety of ways. We define ourselves by sometimes by our relationships. I'm a father. I'm a son. Uh, I have no brothers and no sisters. I'm an only child. Um, we define our ways by relationship. I'm a kid's mom. I'm so-and-so sister. Uh, sometimes we define ourselves by our career. When we get in conversations with people, Sometimes it comes around to the question of, well, what do you do? Uh, I'm an insurance agent. I'm a teacher. I'm a bookkeeper. And so these questions are trying to get at what is our identity, our personal identity, or the set of characteristics that make each of us who we are is our perception of ourselves, how we see ourselves. So another way of, of asking that question is, how do you see yourself? And that's going to have a definition as well. Typically, we see our identities as being based on childhood experiences, environment, relationship, occupations. And although all of those have a part in making us who we are, to identify ourselves primarily by our environments, our experiences, our careers, or our relationships puts the focus on us and not on God. I want to say this emphatically. Your identity is not defined by all of those other things. Those things are important. Your identity is defined by your relationship with God. That's what really matters. Doesn't matter what the culture around you tells you. It's what God tells you. Doesn't matter what your friends, families, and naysayers tell you. It's what God tells you. This is what is very, very valuable and important. In the house of God and in the word of God, I am not defined by my emotions, my feelings, or what anybody else is saying. I'm defined by thus saith the word of the Lord. This is why I've got to get into the word of God so that I know my status and my state of being. My status is not defined by Instagram. The perception of myself should not be defined by social media. The perception 
perception of who I am, the definition of who I am, should be defined by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one that gives me an identity. Praise God, because he's the one that created us. Anybody here in the house of God tonight, you've got breath to breathe. You've got hands that you can clap. You've got feet that you can dance with. You've got breath that you can lift up your voice with. Who gave you that? Who defined you in that way? It wasn't the world. It wasn't the enemy of your soul. It wasn't those that were around you. It was God himself that breathed into humanity the breath of life. Use what God has given you. Praise God. Use what God has given you. When we define ourselves by those other things, that's a secular understanding of identity. It's not a spiritual one. There's nothing wrong with identifying yourself on a secular basis. But if your whole identity is wrapped up in secularism, you're going to be supremely disappointed. Because even though you may have a good occupation, an occupation is not as great as your salvation and your soul. Your soul is greater than all of this other stuff and God's interested in your soul hallelujah amen thinking that way thinking from just a secular understanding points away from God rather than toward God and it's not beneficial to our walk with God and our growth in the kingdom of God First and foremost, I want to be a child of God actually Paul wrote to the Romans and he said to those who are called to be Saints, I want to be a saint. What are you? Well, I've got an occupation, but first, I'm a saint. I'm in a relationship. I've got relationships, but first of all, I'm a saint of God. This should be in our thinking, in our mentality. I may pursue a lot of things, but what I should pursue first and foremost, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. But you got to get your priority in the right place and that is seeking God first why are you here tonight you're here tonight because you came to seek the Lord you came to seek his righteousness you took time out tonight to be in the house of God you set aside some time to say I want to get my priorities hallelujah come on let's clap hands and thank the Lord together help me Jesus help me Jesus help me help me Praise God. Praise God. We often make the mistake of allowing our feelings to determine our identity. That's a secular understanding as well and has the potential to destroy us. You say, Brother Bradford, why is that an issue? Why would somebody that has some conviction spend a lot of time and effort putting together something? The reason is because there is a fight. There is a fight. Somebody say fight. There is a fight for your identity. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in this world and you've got any sense of understanding about culture and everything else and spiritual warfare, there is a fight for your identity. The enemy wants to get us to accept an identity that is destructive, one that hinder, hinders our relationship with God, that keeps us bound. And he uses strategies and he employs these strategies so that we fall into two, two categories. He makes us feel less than God has designed us to be 
or he uses temptations to try to get us to identify with our base sinful nature. He tries to give you an inferior complex. Everybody has heard that inferiority complex. If the enemy can get you to adopt an inferior identity, that mindset will keep you from fulfilling your purpose in the kingdom of God. He will pull up absolutely every failure that you have ever made, every mistake, every difficulty that you have gone through. And he will say, because of those failures and those difficulties, he will say to you and whisper in your ear and shout in your ear that you cannot be what God really wants you to be because you are a failure. That's, that's really not the lesson here tonight, but there's something there. You need to square your shoulders and say, I may have made some mistakes, but God can still use me. Because he looks at not what I was, but he looks at what I can be. Praise God. The church is about pointing its finger at people and saying, it doesn't matter your failure. God can use you. It doesn't matter your difficulties. God can use you. This is God doing the miraculous when he takes somebody that's fell flat on their face over and over and over. But in one service, at one prayer meeting, they turn things around and all of a sudden they're being used of God. Hallelujah. Amen. When you think this way, I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate. I, I, can't, do, I can't do what needs to be done. You end up with a lack of self-worth and self-respect. You have feelings of self-doubt. You have low self-esteem, and sometimes that morphs into depression, all of which keeps you bound and keeps you ineffective. You know what God needs? God needs individuals that recognize I'm a child of God. I know I'm not perfect, but who said everybody's perfect anyway? But I understand the kingdom of God is more important, so I'm going to strive for that. This is what God is looking for. God. So he will try to give you a mindset of inferiority, complex. I'm not good enough. Amen. The second strategy, though, really is the heart of the lesson here tonight, and that is the enemy tries to make us believe, and this is the title here tonight. He tries to make us believe that temptation determines our identity. I want to speak to you tonight that your temptation is not your identity. There may be some things that you struggle with. James said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. First John chapter 2 and verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So temptations are a work of the enemy and a consequence of living in this world. Anybody ever face some temptations? <laughs> Anybody face some temptations today? <laughs> Every single day when you get up, you open the door, you walk out, or maybe before you even leave the house, there's going to be things that come to you and bring temptations to you, and you got some options. You can say, no, I'm going to filter those things out because today I'm going to walk in the light. I'm not walking in darkness or those temptations can become a struggle and a difficulty that if you're not careful you ponder 
think on, get involved in, pretty soon it leads to action. Action leads to sin. You are not a sinner because something pops into your mind. You just cast that down. Every evil imagination, you cast it down. The problem is when you start dwelling on it and then you put it into action. Don't put it into action. When it comes into your mind, say, I've got the power of the Holy Ghost to put down everything that is against Jesus Christ and his word. I don't have to live this way. I'm not walking according to those dictates today. Today, I'm going to walk in the presence of God. Hallelujah. And somebody said amen. Temptations are going to come. None of us are immune to temptation. Every man, every man, every woman is tempted when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. Sometimes when we think of the word lust, we think that that is is, is just about sexual appetites. And it certainly has to do with that. But in the New Testament, there are many variations of the word lust. And most of them have to do with desire, yearning, or the main and key point is the appetites. What am I feeding myself? Those are the appetites. And if I have a lust for things... That are things that are detrimental to me in my walk with God. And I'm feeding myself that. If I'm, I'm not careful, I'm going to become what I am feeding myself. I don't want to feed myself with junk and garbage. I'll end up being junk and garbage. But thank God I can come to the house and feed myself from the word of God. Thank God tonight I came and lifted my hands and felt the worship of the king of kings in this place. I'm better because of it. Why? Because I've got an appetite. I want the Holy Ghost to move in my life. I don't want to feed myself with the junk of the world, but God, can you feed me with nutrients? Can you feed me with something that is valuable? Can you feed me with your word that gives me a foundation and a strength and I'm not filled with all kinds of junk? Lust means the appetites. We all have areas of weakness. And so the enemy works on those areas. He tries to draw us away. He tries to entice us. And if he can't get us to fall to that temptation, he'll work on your mind to try to convince you that whether you have ever committed the actual sin or not, you are that person. You have that temptation, and so you must be that kind of person. And this is how he will work. This is... This is fascinating. One of the old stories that I've heard many, many times, and it's a good one, is the story of Leroy King that was a member of this church. And when he came to God, he was an alcoholic, a severe alcoholic. And God touched his life, did things in his life. He went up north, and on the way back from Fresno, he stopped at just about every roadside bar, as I understand the story. He got back into town. He sat down with Brother Terry. He said, I'm a failure. I feel terrible. And Brother Terry said, why? He said, because I was coming from Fresno and I wanted a drink so bad. I stopped at every single bar. I pulled over and stopped in front of the bar. All the way home, I did this. I'm just a failure. And Brother Terry said, well, did you go in? He said, no, I didn't go in. I just stopped at every bar. Brother Terry said, see, that's the mindset. The mindset and your mindset is because you stopped and you felt the temptation. That temptation then identified you. Brother Terry said, that's not the problem. You actually have a victory because you never went into the bar and you never had a drink. Therefore, you are victorious. 
Your identity is not defined by your temptation. Sometimes we feel physical temptations, those tangible things. They go against God's commandments and instructions, alcohol, drugs, illicit sex, immorality. Other times, it's mental or emotional temptations. Rebellion, envy, greed, selfishness, discontentment, lust. Those affect our minds and spirits even if they don't lead to sinful actions. All of these come with the potential to affect our identity. You don't have to act on the temptation. If the enemy can get you to buy into the identity of the temptation, he's got you in a place of condemnation and depression. And I'm telling you, the world is beating the drums. If you're tempted, this is who you are. You were born this way. There's songs that are sung. There's very, very popular singers in our modern culture that beat that drum. No matter what you feel, if that's what you feel, that's what you are. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not what you are. That's a temptation, but that's not who you are. That's not what you are. If we go down that road, then everybody in here could be all kinds of things, and that would be an excuse. Don't take an excuse. Understand and take the Holy Ghost that is in my life gives me the ability to be more than a conqueror. Praise God. So if you've got a problem with alcohol in the past, but now you're completely sober, the enemy will try to rob you by saying you'd like to have a drink, wouldn't you? And just because you'd like to have a drink, then that means that you're still an alcoholic. No. No, that means I'm tempted to drink, but I'm an overcomer now. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. Praise God. Praise God. Maybe you had a problem with lying, and God touched you, and you realize honesty is, is the better prescription. I'm not going to do that anymore because there's a lot of damage that comes from that, and there's a lot of drama that comes with it. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to be honest. The enemy comes to you and said, but you would like to lie, wouldn't you? <laughs> You would like to, and you did before, so that means that you're still a liar. No, that means sometimes I may be tempted to lie, but I'm not lying anymore because God has touched me. And I recognize the temptation of lying is not my identity. I am not a liar. I'm a child of God. I'm born of God. I'm washed and cleansed by his blood and Calvary. My identity is wrapped up in not what comes my way. My identity is wrapped up in his word. So people... People get sucked into how the world defines them. But I'm here to tell you tonight, young people, you listen to me. Please, please listen to me. The world's going to try to define you. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to fall into that trap. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. You don't have to to say, the world defines me. Or even my flesh defines me. Sometimes you got to get up in the morning and tell your own carnal nature, you're not going that direction. You're not doing those things because that's going to lead to a terrible day. And it's a depressing thing. But today, you're going to live as a child of God. You're a son and daughter of God. And you're going to have a good day. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself. Praise God. Yeah, sometimes you have to. David encouraged himself in the Lord. It is a little awkward when your wife walks in and there's nobody else and you're talking to yourself. She wants to know what you're talking about. 
<clears throat> Praise God. The world will try its very best to define you. But the reason why you don't have to be defined by the world is you have biblical knowledge. You have wisdom and you have revelation available to you. And you have the Holy Ghost living in you. And so you can overcome that wrong, destructive way of thinking. You may be tempted by pornography. That doesn't make you a depraved, disgusting, perverted person. That makes you a child of God that's tempted by pornography and the lust of the flesh. Did God, did God create you to enjoy that particular lifestyle? No. No. That's not your identity. That's your temptation. Not your identity. There's a long list of temptations. And, and every single one of us in this place has our own temptation. Now, let me just add something here. Don't get caught up in trying to don't get caught up in trying to compare temptations. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Well, my temptation is not same-sex attraction, but my temptation is lying, so I'm better off than the person that struggles with that. No, you're in the same boat. You've got the same temptation that will take you to hell, whether it's, whether it's same-sex attraction or lying or anger, bitterness. We, we need to eradicate that out of our thinking because sometimes we'll sit in Moses' judgment seat and cast judgment on somebody that could be used of God, but they can't get out from under the cloud of suspicion that everybody's put on them. Listen, God has created the church to raise up a standard that says we don't care what your temptation is as long as the Holy Ghost is operating in your life. You can be powerful for the kingdom of God. I defy that spirit that comes from hell that chooses to let somebody that could be used of God sit on a church pew for their entire life because they feel like they're unworthy. You're not unworthy as long as Calvary and the blood of Calvary has washed and cleansed you. Praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that if you knew some of the temptations that some people in ministry and leadership had, it would probably knock you right off the pew. You know what that is? That's not something that is a negative. That's something that is a positive because God's still doing miracles. And he's doing miracles in people. Oh, we need to thank God together. We, we, we. You say, my God, what's he talking about? Well, when you're a pastor and you're working with fallen people, there's a lot of stuff that you can't just broadcast to everybody because those people would go out and mount up a campaign and we can't sit on the same pew with this person. My God, they're vile, they're a failure, they're a sinner. That's what we would do. But thanks be to God that God does something so miraculous. As a pastor, sometimes it's hard to contain the excitement when God picks someone up out of the mire and out of the muck of sin, out of the muck of all kinds of, of discontentment and frustration, and God gives them liberty. Uh, 
I'm never going to finish this if I don't keep going. Praise God. God allows us to be tempted, but he didn't create us with identity issues to watch us struggle and see if somehow we might just possibly be able to overcome them. He does not create you to be something he disapproves of. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Sometimes we're not tempted only by sin, but things that just aren't, they're not healthy or productive. Negative attitudes, critical judgment attitude, judgmental attitude, selfishness, unkind or hateful thoughts and deeds, laziness, unwise financial decisions, overspending or impatience. God didn't create us to be negative, critical, hateful, lazy, impatient, selfish people. <laughs> no. Think about how you're raising or how you raise your children. We don't create our children but our modeling and teaching has a lot to do with shaping their identities. Do you teach your children to be unkind, mean, lazy, and then stand back and see if they can develop into kind, productive people? Of course not. You don't do that. And that's not what God does to us. He created us to be like him, so why do we accept that we are our temptations? You are supposed to be like God. Now, let me let you in on a secret. The scripture said that he was tempted in all points like as we are. I believe that Jesus Christ was tempted with every temptation. Every single one. Imagine in your mind the worst temptation that you could even think of. I believe Jesus was tempted by that. And yet the scripture said he knew no sin. <clears throat> if he's the first Adam, if the first Adam was born into a fallen nature and the second Adam becomes Jesus Christ and gives to us an example, that means that we should live our lives as Jesus lived his life. And he overcame every temptation. Praise God. We should be thankful that we have that example. God does not do that to us. He created us to be like him. Well, I'm just a critical person. I have always been. Well, you don't have to stay that way. I've just never been a highly motivated individual. Well, then do something about it. Don't just accept it. I was born impatient and I'll always be impatient. So work on that. Say I am an, by nature kind of an impatient person, but I'm working every day and I'm getting better. Rather than it becoming an excuse... That's wrong thinking. Anything that's not like God is not part of our identity. Our upbringing, our jobs, other people, life experiences, all these factor into our personalities. But it's up to us to understand and accept what characteristics that we want to apply to our lives. If they're unhealthy and unproductive and they don't represent Jesus Christ, then I'm not going to accept those. I don't want those things to develop my life. I want to be the person that God created me to be. Praise God. I want to be the person that God created me to be. Amen. Here's our problem. We allow our feelings to determine our identity when our identity should determine our feelings. 
we get it backwards. And our culture teaches people to put their feelings first. Right now, again, I'm telling you, Sister Monks has put this material together. I'm putting my spin on it, okay? (laughs) What you're hearing is uh, Pastor Bradford, but the material is Sister Monks, and, and her finger is right on the pulse of where we are. You look at social media, everybody is operating on feelings. Brother Terry Stewart is not in here, but I got a good story. I got two good stories about him. (laughs) The first one is when he came into the state for 238, we went and got his information for him because we didn't know if they were going to give him a runaround because he was out of state and demand that he be quarantined. So Brother Casey went and got his room, gave him the key, brought it down here. He got in late. And so we gave Monday night, we gave him the key. He went to the hotel unpacked all of his stuff. He had two of the luggage carts full because he brought all kinds of tools and he brings both luggage carts into the hotel, goes up to the second floor, pulls all that stuff down, one cart and then goes back, gets the other cart, stands in front of the door, puts the key in the door, didn't work. So now he's thinking, oh my word, I got to go down to the front desk. I'm not the guy that signed into the room. They're going to ask me what I'm doing. I got all this stuff. This was to avoid that. So he goes down, and he didn't have the other choice. He goes down, he gives the key to the front desk, and the lady, he said, ma'am, the key's not working to this room. And the lady takes the key and said, sir, you're in the wrong hotel. You're staying at the Fairfield Inn. This is the La Quinta Inn. (laughs) It's it's two hotels. It's It's two hotels down. So, so he had a Load that all up and go to the right hotel. That's, that is funny. That is so funny. He's an engineer. I mean, everything has to be right. He starts talking about stuff, and it sounds like he's talking a foreign language. So he stayed at that hotel for a period of time, and he came back one day, and they had bagged. His door was locked. He went down. He said, I'm trying to check into my room. The door's locked. They said, well, sir, we, we didn't know you were staying an extra night, which we told them that it would be indefinite. So something happened. He said, well, it's supposed to be an indefinite stay. And uh, where's all my stuff? And they said, oh, well, we, we, put it, we bagged it all up for you. So he said, well, <laughs> he called me. He didn't know what to do. They brought his stuff. They brought his stuff. He had all of his suits and everything all clean, pressed. And when they brought the bags to him, they had stuffed all of his stuff, his check, everything, in two plastic bags. Well, what would you do? <laughs> he's a big guy, and sometimes he, he, he's, he can get a little frustrated, and so he said, Are you kidding me? And the lady said, sir, you need to back up. You're big and I'm small and and this is threatening. He said, I'm not threatening you. I just can't believe you stuck all my stuff in a bag like this. The next day he had to leave the hotel 
because they said as long as he was on site and he was threatening to this one employee, he had to leave the hotel. And so he left the hotel because of someone's feelings, feelings, feelings. If, if, and, and what's crazy in our culture today is they could offend our feelings. It's okay to do that. But if, if you say anything that offends them and their feelings, they'll cancel you. We live in a cancel culture. It is a crazy, confusing world that we are living in. We, our problem is we allow our feelings to determine our identity when our identity should determine our feelings. I'm a child of God, therefore it informs my feelings. If you operate on your feelings, you're going to be all over the place. Okay, what are you today? I'm happy, I'm happy. What are you today? I'm sad, I'm sad, it's terrible. Uh, what are you today? I'm frustrated, I'm frustrated. Okay, well, live that way and you're going to be a miserable individual. But if every day you get up and you say, I'm a child of God, and as a child of God, there's going to be a lot of things that come my way, but a child of God's going to inform everything else about my day. We turn it around, we get it backwards. And our culture teaches us to put our feelings first. My feelings are suspect. My feelings from day to day, who knows where they are. And then as you get older, your feelings get all out of whack. Biologically, your hormones are doing all kinds of stupid stuff. God, what in the world are you doing to me? You never told me that getting 50 would be something like this. Thank God that your word is an anchor to me in whatever stage of life I am in. I'm a child of God, and I'm informed by your ability. When our feelings become primary, they determine our actions which shapes our identities, and this is destructive because it's passive. It makes us a victim of our feelings. It should be that our identity shapes our actions and makes a determination on how we feel. That's constructive. That's active. And our feelings then become a product of who we are. We asked ourselves in the beginning, or you ask your neighbor, who are you? Then who we are is going to determine the way that we act. If you want to feel differently, act differently. When I came to the house of God tonight, I purposely acted out worship even if I didn't feel like worshiping. Why? Because my actions are going to determine my feelings. Well, I just didn't feel anything at church tonight. Well, did you worship? Well, no, but I was just waiting for it to happen. It doesn't work that way. Your actions determine your feelings. I made a determination that every single service, I'm going to worship God with everything that I've got. I, I, and I try to exemplify that. Every single service. It's on, brother. It is on, sister. I'm here to worship God. I'll defy hell and every spirit from hell. I'm going to magnify the king of kings. I don't care how I feel. I'm worshiping God. I'm going to give him everything that I've got. You will not see me standing over there with my arms crossed. You will not see me sitting in that chair. Where are you going to see me? Out here, worshiping God, magnifying God. Why? Because he's done too much for me. Praise God. And even if I don't feel it, I'm going to worship God anyway because I know 
that my actions are going to end up determining my feelings, and that's going to determine the identity of who I am. Praise God. Every single day, you need to wake up in the morning and say, I'm a child of God. I was created and designed by him, and I'm going to act like one. Paul said that we are heirs. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Praise God. God has made us the children of God. Amen. He's given to us a great, great opportunity. Amen. The way that we perceive ourselves. Amen. When you claim that you are a child of God and you put it into action, you claim the values, the commitments, and the expectations of that identity. You will want to be the best Sunday school teacher. You will want to be the best musician. You will want to be the best prayer warrior. You will want to be the best worshiper, altar worker, child of God that you can be. Why? Because those values and commitments and expectations are coming from and being derived from the fact that I am a child of God. If you're a child of God, is laziness going to be in the picture? If you're a child of God, a real child of God, is apathy going to be in the picture? If you're a real, real child of God, you're going to be inspired to do the things of God. I'm, I'm thankful, very, very thankful that at Greater Bakersfield's First Pentecostal Church, there are people that are operating from the perception and understanding and identity that God has done so much for me, and that's my identity. I want to be used of him. Amen. I want to be used of him. Your emotions can be harnessed and your feelings can be trained. Now, I'm coming to a conclusion. I know this is taking a little while, but this is really, really good stuff. Claiming your temptation as your identity takes the responsibility off of you. It gives you an excuse to do what you should not, and that's why the identity argument gets so much use. Right? I've had an anger problem, and I'm... 75% Irish, and so, therefore, I'm always going to have an anger problem. It gives me an excuse to have an anger problem, right? Because I'm Irish. Yeah? It gives me an excuse. <clears throat> it's not my fault that I'm tempted by alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic, so I'm genetically predisposed to be an alcoholic. I can't fight some things because it's just who I am, and it's biological. My grandfather had a bad temper, my dad had a bad temper, and I have a bad temper, so it's genetic. So now I have an excuse. Anytime you, t listen to me, please, please listen to me. Anytime you take on the victim mentality, you are setting yourself up for major failure. Because all you're doing is walking and abiding by an excuse. I don't, look, look. I don't care what has come your way, what has happened. I don't care what in history has happened. I, every single one of us has got stories, and some people that you think is privileged and they're this and they're that have gone through hell to be where they are. Every single one of us has faced difficulties. We've got background and stories from families that were so dysfunctional. It's a miracle that you're even here. Some of you are here without a family. And when I talk to you about some of your families, my eyes go out on their stems 
dreams and then boing back into my head and gives me whiplash. I'm wondering how in the world you're even here in the house of God. You know how you're here? Because you didn't use an excuse to excuse your bad behavior and dysfunction. You said, I'm not going to be that. I don't want to be that. I want to be a child of God. I want the Holy Ghost. As Christians, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, our identity is in Jesus Christ. My struggle as a temptation takes away the excuse and puts the responsibility on me to fight it, to resist it, to do the right thing, and ultimately to overcome it. I do struggle with impatience. But I can't say, well, my dad was impatient, and so I'm going to use that excuse to blister everybody around me with impatience. No, 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 no. God has done great things, and he's, in, he's working in my life. I am not going to let that be an excuse. I'm going to be what he never was. That was his choice. He made his choice, and he put me under a lot of environments and circumstances that, that, that was difficult to understand growing up and going through development and what have you. But I've got a choice. And the Holy Ghost in my life has set me up to say, because I'm a child of God, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be 180% the opposite of that. When you walk around with an excuse all the time, it allows you to be whatever you want it to be. But if the word of God is directing you and anchoring you, then it doesn't matter what temptation comes your way. You don't have to be that because you're a child of God. I said you're a child of God. You are God's masterpiece. God is the one that defines you. God is the one that seals you. Our past, our sin, labels other people put on us or that we put on ourselves. What others say about us and what we think or say about ourselves, they don't determine our identity. None of that is a part of the identity that Jesus Christ gives you, so it does not define you. And yet sometimes we allow that to define us. Can I tell you that God defines you? as his own special possession. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are treasured of God. You are irreplaceable in God's mind. You are elected by God. You are loved beyond compare. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? You are worth dying for. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. He has set you free. You are precious to him. You are set apart. That is your identity. That is how God defines you. Amen. As we stand together. This is the biggest lie ever foisted upon humanity to say that your temptation is your identity. It is not. 
Does everybody here tonight recognize the seriousness of this discussion that we are having here tonight? Does every parent in this building understand the seriousness of this discussion? Just recently, I talked my wife out of a certain vehicle and we drove it around for a year and a half and we exchanged it for the same year. I was talking to the car dealer. He asked me what we did. We were talking about pastoring a church. He's a car salesman. He's a Christian of some sort, a car salesman. Led to a conversation about him running for a for a seat on the school council somewhere in the south part of town. I said, well, what led you to that? He said, I sent my daughter to school, to elementary school. I started digging into her curriculum. And within two weeks, they were trying to teach my daughter her sexuality as it pertained to homosexuality, transgenderism, gender fluidity. And he said, so I, 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 I couldn't just sit back and allow that to happen. So I started running on a public platform and he lost. But he said, at least I knocked on a bunch of doors. And I talked to people about the influence and the promotion of a culture on a society, and more importantly, upon children. <clears throat> let, let me say this and be nice, because we probably will be labeled with hate speech. But if you're trying to, to direct attention to seven, eight, and nine-year-olds on their sexuality, to me, that's a form of child abuse. This is a big, big deal. Young people, you're going to be faced with a lot of temptations. Know this, okay? You got a pastor that understands you're going to have problems and difficulties. And I'm going to be with you 100% to try to overcome everything that you face. But your temptations don't describe and define who you are. There, there is only one that can define who you are. And he defines who you are from Calvary and a cross that he gave his life for so that you can be a child of God and say, I'm a child of God. And that, def that informs everything else. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Everyone say conquerors. Through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You can be more than a conqueror. 
You say, well, you don't know how many times I've struggled with it. I don't care how many times you struggle with it. You're here in the house of God, right? That means something. Keep struggling. Keep, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. You say, will it ever go away? No. Probably not. Probably not. I'm 50 years old, and I'm still struggling with something. You know what? It would be, it's not foolish, but if I were to pray, God, please take, take this away from me, okay? Remove it. Take it away so I don't have to deal with it anymore. And isn't that what Paul prayed? And didn't Jesus say to him, that's a thorn in your flesh? But as long as it's a thorn in, this, in your flesh... In your weakness, you can be made strong. My grace is sufficient. Some things I'm not going to take from you because who knows what kind of a monster you would be if I took that temptation from you. I'm just going to leave that there so that you know how to approach me humbly with humility and servant. Let's pray together right now. Lord, we thank you and praise you and know that the enemy has come down with great, great wrath. And we are in a fight for survival. I pray that you would help us, help our young people and Jesus, help our children. Help our parents teach in their homes. We are not defined by the atmosphere and culture that is around us. This is why we come to church. This is why we have Sunday school. This is why we read the scripture. This is why we spend our time around the church because our identity is wrapped up in who God has called us to be. And we may feel like we're foreigners in a strange land. Hallelujah. But God has declared to us that we are children of the King.